Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. And this is his big thing. He's challenging people to believe in Jesus, not just to believe what Jesus said, but to put their faith and trust in Jesus. In the time Jesus walked the earth, he created some controversy. Many struggled to accept what he said about himself and hence did not believe in him. He said at the time that he was doing the will of his father. Some believed in him, some rejected him. Fast forward to today and not much has changed. For some weeks, Dr. Corbett has been exploring the New Testament book of John, delving into who Jesus is and why we can believe in him. I invite you to stay tuned now as Dr. Corbett explores Jesus' invitation. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Please return to your seats and we'll make a start. I'm going to pray. We're going to be jumping into the Gospel of John again. This time we're in chapter 7 as we make our way through his gospel, the gospel, John's gospel of belief. It's the last gospel. We've already mentioned that there's a lot of things that John doesn't say because this is the last gospel. The other three gospel writers have already made a number of points that John does not choose to repeat. There are some things that he does, but most of which he does not, including some of the uh, sermons that Christ gave, he's opted to leave those to Matthew, Mark and Luke. They are called the synoptic gospels, synoptic in the sense that they see the same thing and they're retelling it from a very similar perspective. John, on the other hand, is telling it from his up close and front perspective. And what we're about to see in chapter 7 is, I think, one of the most courageous displays by Christ out of everything he did in his ministry, short of going to the cross itself. So let's pray. Father, I ask now that you would grant to me the wisdom and the clarity to be able to preach your word with the authority that you have invested into your people, especially those who are called to preach your word. Help me now to preach it in a way that it causes people to hear the truth of your word. It goes into their hearts and helps to transform them, that, Father, their eyes might be opened, their ears might be opened, and their hearts might come alive even further. So I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So what we have here is John is going to describe something of an encounter that Jesus has with his brothers and and the, the entire setting of what John has been doing and will be doing is centered around certain Jewish feasts. We we see that his backdrop in John chapter 6 was where John tells us the Passover was at hand or the Passover was near. And so we have Christ doing something that was very reminiscent of the Passover, and that was delivering bread. Hence, he says, I am the living bread. I am the bread that has come down from heaven, that my Father is giving you or gives you, present continuous tense. And so now we have John describing Jesus going from Galilee to Jerusalem, albeit via a discussion in Galilee with his brothers, as we'll see in a moment, who challenge him to go to Jerusalem and challenge him to prove himself uh, himself to the to the people there. And so what we're going to see is that Jesus doesn't accept their challenge, but he heeds the direction of his father. And this is going to be something I think John wants the readers to know. Jesus was not beholden to people and their agendas, but he was fully submitted 
to his father's agenda. So what we have going on now in this, this account where John is again using the backdrop of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles to tell us, the reader, that there is, there, there is something that Jesus is going to strategically do. So the Feast of Tabernacles grounded in uh, the, the book of Leviticus where there's seven feasts mentioned and we're seeing them take place in order here. And here Jesus is going to do something that was, that well, it had become attached on the last day. An extra day or two had been added by the religious leaders of the Jews and involved drawing water, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, in the next chapter, by the way, is the festival of the joy of the law. It's, it's the feast of the joy for the law. And the law was considered to be light. And so we're going to see in our next uh, installment that Jesus will refer to himself as the light. In this one, he's going to refer to himself as water, as we will see. So John continues to also point out to his readers that everything Jesus did invoked a very polarized response, a response of whether people believed or whether they rejected. That we, we have John describing those responses, the responses of people uh, to the witnesses. They, saw, they witnessed the, the miracles of Jesus and they were moved to not only believe that what Jesus said was true, but to actually believe in him that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One, the prophet that Moses had foretold about. But in this section, there's going to be an absolutely profound, almost heartbreaking response of rejection that Jesus encounters. Let's pick it up now. This is John chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, or it's known in the old language, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, verse 3. So his brothers said to him, Leave here, that is Galilee, and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one, they said to him, works in secret. If he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. So there we have this insight that the brothers of Christ who grew up with him, they did not believe him. And this is going to be one of the themes through John as well, that there is a veil or there was a veil over people's eyes. They couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. They couldn't see what he was really showing them. And so we're going to see as we get toward the end of his gospel just why that was. Verses 6 and 7, Jesus said to them, his brothers, and these are his younger brothers, by the way, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. So here we have Jesus clearly demonstrating, unlike his brothers who said, well, if, if, if this is your mission, if you really claim that God has sent you to be the saviour of the world, 
Here's a great opportunity. Here's a large gathering of people in Jerusalem. If you go down there, you'll have a huge audience. You should do this. You should show yourself to the world. And Jesus says, no, I'm, that's not why I would go, and I'm not going to go on that basis. In other words, my timetable is completely different. He says to his brothers, essentially, they operate on a what we might call a self-determined timetable. But Christ was operating on a father-determining timetable. In other words, whatever his father said to do, that's what Jesus chose to do. Verse 8, you go up to the feast, Jesus tells his younger brothers, I'm not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Now, just pause here because there is an expression that runs through John's gospel where it's the expression, the hour, the Greek word is hora. But here, this word time, my time, is it's another Greek word, it's kairos, has not yet fully come. And it's a different thing. The, the expression in John about my hour or the hour refers to his death on the cross. But my time, Jesus saying here to his younger brothers, was whatever the father told him to do. So he goes on, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. So John is very, very careful now to show that Jesus was in constant communication with his father. This is what, this is what John is showing this. So Jesus remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up, this is verse 10, to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So there's a lot of counterintuitives here. If you want to get a platform, if you want to get a big crowd, if you want to get a huge following, you wouldn't do it privately. But Jesus did. And why did he do it? As we'll see in a moment, it was because his father was directing him. And he's very clearly under the direction of his father. Verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he's leading the people astray. So John now is going to reveal why it was that some people did not believe in Jesus. And this is his big thing. He's challenging people to believe in Jesus, not just to believe what Jesus said, but to put their faith and trust in Jesus. So why will, why, why was it that some people weren't prepared to believe in Jesus? Well, we read in verse 13, Yet for fear of the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders, no one spoke openly of Jesus. Wow. Now, perhaps this was just sheer peer pressure. They, they didn't want to be out of step with everyone else. Perhaps it was just plain social pressure that, that perhaps is still existent today. Perhaps there are people who won't come to church for fear of the social potential, social ridicule, or they won't consider Jesus as their saviour, their Lord, their rescuer because of the social pressure. So John is saying this is what was happening even when Jesus was physically present even when he was physically visible, even when he was doing extraordinary miracles. So 
what we have here is that Jesus is waiting for his father to say, now, now is the time to go. And he's very aware that if he doesn't get this timing right, the whole plan of redemption, that is what he would achieve on the cross, could be put in jeopardy. So even though he was aware that the Jewish authorities wanted to kill him, there came a signal from the father that said, go. And it was then that he not only, not only went to Jerusalem, he went into Jerusalem. And when we say not, not just into Jerusalem, he went into the very heart of Jerusalem. That is the temple precinct itself. This is where the religious authorities were, the very ones who wanted to kill him. So we see that Jesus left Galilee, having told his brothers, you go up, I will not. In other words, I will not go up because you tell me to. I will go up when the Father tells me to. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit, by the way, to be sensitive to God's leading. And here Jesus is doing it. So it's when the Father signaled to Jesus, now it's time, son, go. And so we read in verse 14, when Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, he's gone, he's marched up that, that hill, Mount Zion, he's gone to the temple precinct, he's in the midst of the crowds in the temple, and it says this, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. Verse 15, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning? when he has never studied. Now, we, we will read this in the book of Acts as well about the disciples who the religious leaders said, how is it that you know so much about God's word and God when you haven't done our training? And it was obvious, and the book of Acts tells us, they realized, the religious authorities realized, these men had been with Jesus. So when we read here that the Jews marveled, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. So here again is what John wants readers to see. John is telling us that Jesus is in constant communication with his Father, with his heavenly Father. Jesus says this, and this really highlights the purpose of life. Verse 17, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. Now, that's an interesting statement because what Jesus is saying is, what I am saying is verifiably true. It's verifiably supportable as coming from God. So we have Jesus saying, if you know God, you will know that what I'm saying comes from him. You will understand his language. You will understand his heartbeat. And we can say the same thing today. There are many people who make all kinds of claims about what God is saying or what God wants people to do. But if we know God, and how do we know God? From his word. Jesus actually made that comment, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you'll find eternal life. 
And you and they were right, you, you can. But Jesus said, it's they that speak of me. And we've already read that in the Gospel of John. So in other words, to understand the voice of God, to hear and discern the voice of God, we need to become aware of the language of God. So Jesus has, has embarked on a very public ministry in Jerusalem's temple at this time, this kairos, verified by his father's protection. Because the Jews had made it well known, if we find Jesus or someone sees him, let us know because we want to kill him. <laughs> Some of the people of Jerusalem, verse 25, therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? So the Jewish expectations of what the Messiah would be like had become tainted with speculation. In other words, things that weren't in the scripture. But it was almost like they'd added legend and myth to what the Messiah would one day be like. And all of that, that extra speculation, all it did was hinder people from recognizing the real thing. There's a great warning here for us today. When people speculate beyond the scripture, when they go beyond the scripture, this is where we need to be really careful that we are not reading into scripture or twisting scripture, but taking out of scripture. So we have, we have here Jesus boldly going into the temple and fulfilling exactly what the prophet said the Messiah would be like and what he would do and who he was. And so this is, a, I think, just a great reminder to us not to be too hasty, not to be too quick to be led astray by people who claim that God has told them, especially if they claim that God has told them to tell you that you should do something. I will give you a pastoral word of caution here. That often can confirm what God is saying to you. But if you, if you sense something that is a complete surprise to you, if you hear something that is a complete surprise to you, chances are what that other person claiming to speak on behalf of God is actually probably not true. And this is the point of what Jesus is saying here. So in verse 26, and here he is, the crowd said, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. So they can see there's the religious leaders and there's Jesus. Jesus is there right at the time the father said to go. And for some reason, the father had orchestrated it that Jesus would not be harmed at this time. Can it be, the crowd said, that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. And again, where they get that idea from? That is not what the scriptures say. It is speculation. And dare I say it, when it comes to things like Bible prophecy, there is a lot of speculation that has been mingled in with what the text actually says when that speculation is not what the text actually says at all. Verse 30, 31. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because, and here's that counter expression that I mentioned before. So before when he was talking with his brothers, he talked about my time, your time. 
Now he uses this expression, this expression, because his hour had not yet come. This is the expression John's using. Because his hour had not yet come. What hour is that? The hour of redemption. And it's not literally 60 minutes. It just simply means a time. And this is where we today, as modern readers of God's word, we need to understand the language of the Bible. Yet many of the people believed in him. So they heard Jesus preaching in the temple. They heard something, not just with their natural ears, but as Jesus spoke, something burned in their soul. Something came alive in their heart. Their ears were opened. They heard the voice of God, literally, and they believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So the crowds were very aware of the reports of miracles. They were very aware of the extraordinary things that had been reported about what Christ had done. And putting that together, and for some who had never heard him, now they got to hear him. So they heard him, they're listening to him, they see him, they realize he's not like the previous would-be messiahs of which we see referred to in the book of Acts, where uh, we see the Roman soldier say to Paul, I thought you were one of these, you know, one of these other false messiahs. He said, no. And, and Luke in the gospel, uh, sorry, in the book of Acts, he, he lists some of the, the things coming out of the mouth of the centurion. And we know that there were so-called people who claimed to be the promised one, the Christ, and they were simply trying to raise an army to, to combat Rome. But that wasn't Jesus' agenda at all. He was coming on the Father's agenda. And the Father's agenda was to be bread from heaven, water for the soul, and the light of the world. So Jesus says this, and this is the crux of what we're talking about now because this is it. This is the whole point of this this entire scene that, that John is now telling us about with Jesus. On the last day, this is verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day. So this is what's been added to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths by the religious leaders as a tradition. Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So let's just pause for a minute and realize what happened during this Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles was that the people would often build a booth out of palm branches or something like that as kind of a tent. And and they had flat roofs back then, not like our mostly gabled roofs. They had flat roofs. So they could go up to their roof and they would put they would set up like a, a palm branch uh, booth or kind of a tent. And then they would have to, and then part of what became tradition was that there was a, a ceremonial uh, uh, getting of drinking water. So they had to go and draw drinking water. That was a bit of a tedious exercise. But it relates to the wandering of Israel in the wilderness and how God supplied them with water. And so at that time, Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, here many people scampering to get drinking water, Jesus says this, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. So we've already seen that John had told the Galilean crowds 
that eternal life was to come to him and quote-unquote eat his flesh and quote-unquote drink his blood. But what he was saying was, believe in me. Believe in me. So when Jesus now, not just teaching, not just preaching, but notice this, on the last day of the feast, the great day, which would have been the, the great day when the crowds have come into the temple precinct to get their water to take back to their booth, their drinking water, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. In verse 38, we see, whoever believes in me. So here we go again. So this is, the, this is exactly the same language as eat my flesh, drink my blood, come and drink water that I supply. It's summed up in this, believe in me. Whoever believes in me, out, uh, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And, it, and it's picturesque of what happened through the wandering of, of Israel through the wilderness where Moses uh, struck the rock and water came out. And your heart may be like rock, your heart may be hard, but you come to God and out of your heart will flow rivers of not just water, but living water. This is what Jesus is now offering the crowds who are gathered. And, and might we say, Jesus still satisfies the deepest thirst the deepest longing of the human soul. He still does it today. No matter what you have tried to satisfy your thirst, you may have tried sex, you may have tried pornography, you may have tried gambling, you may have tried some kind of thrill, and it hasn't thrilled your soul. It hasn't satisfied your soul. And Jesus offers living water that will go deep into your soul, and satisfy you emotionally, intellectually, psychologically, and spiritually. These waters that Jesus offers, we, we all need this. We all crave this. For many of us, we don't realize this is exactly what we long for. And here's the question. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for the waters that Jesus offers? The waters of love, God's love, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness that only Jesus can offer? Are you thirsty for that? Do you want to drink the water, the living water that Jesus offers? You might feel that you've done too much to offend God. You might think, God could never forgive me. He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know how I've put other things before him. You may have even been going to church most of your life and yet you've never completely surrendered to God. And Jesus offers this living water. It's the living water of surrender. It's the living water that says, here I am, God. I need your forgiveness. I want your love and I need your acceptance. And that doesn't just happen beyond the grave. It's not just about quote-unquote, going to heaven. It's about entering into a relationship with God himself. And here's what I can promise you, based on what Jesus said when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. And here he's saying, And I'll quench the thirst of your soul. 
that thirst that you have, I will quench that, and only I can. You are just one prayer away from the waters of eternal salvation that Jesus offers. It would be my privilege right now to pray for you so that you can come to know your soul's thirst satisfied by turning to Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to join in this prayer and make it your prayer. I'm not asking you to sign up to anything. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not asking you even to join our church if you're a visitor here today. I'm not asking you for anything except for you to do business with God right now and allow Him to have His way in your life. Let's pray. If this is your prayer, pray it with me from your heart. Father God, please forgive me. Please accept me. Please make me the kind of person you want me to be. I want to live the way you want me to live, but I need your help. Send me. Lead me. Use me. I am now yours. Have your way in my life, I pray. Amen, which means let it be. You pray a prayer like that, I guarantee you, your life will be different from this point on. Now let me pray a prayer of blessing on you. Father, I pray that you would bless all those who've joined with me now. May their hearts be stirred with the fire of the Holy Spirit. May the word of Christ be burning in their heart. May there be a desire to see their friends, their family, their neighbours, their work colleagues come to know the truth that can only be found in Jesus. Put a love in their heart for your church. Put a love in their heart to meet with other brothers and sisters who you have also adopted into your family. And I pray, Lord, that they might know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel, Part 12, from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Jesus did nothing without the authority of his Father. He didn't seek to meet the expectations of the Jews, but declared only the truth about himself. He called people to believe in him and he still satisfies the deepest thirst of the human soul. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.